This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Welcome to the Center for Sports Studies podcast. My name is Brandon Podgorski, Professor of Sport Management at Trine University, and I want to welcome you to this month's podcast. Today is a special podcast where instead of interviewing a guest, I want to recognize the impact of Title IX on its celebration of its 50th anniversary. In this episode, I explain how Title IX is measured and applied in athletic departments, the impact the law has had on women's sports, and I try to forecast what the future of women's sports will look like. I hope you enjoy the show. Normally on the Center for Sports Studies podcast, we like to interview professionals in sport throughout the world of sport, whether it would be in sales or marketing or operations, accounting and finance, facilities, college sports with athletic directors and coaches, scouts. If, if you work in sport, we love to have you on the show. But today, in honor of the 50th anniversary of the passage of Title IX, I wanted to take this podcast and explain what Title IX is, how it's applied in intercollegiate interscholastic sport, just some of the st statistics and the impacts of Title IX, and what I think are going to be some of the challenges in the future with the law. So to start off with Title IX, I want to read you the entire law, and it's an actually simple law to, um, to read. It's only 37 words long, and Title IX was passed in 1972 as part of the U.S. Education Amendments, and the law is stated as this, no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. So when you hear that, basically what that's saying with Title IX is, you know, before this was passed in 1972, um, I think it's safe to say there was some discrimination with boys and men's sports as compared with girls and women's sports in both, you know, well, all the way from middle school up through college. Boys had more opportunities to play sports than girls did. And it's a little bit tough as I talk with students in my classes for them to kind of wrap their head around this because we've been used to things being equitable between um, boys and girls sports and, and men's and women's sports. Um, so, you know, a generation, you think about the baby gen boomer generation were the ones who really saw kind of these big impacts to today, seeing women and girls in sport is just about normal to our students as, as seeing men and boys in sport. So it's been a very impactful law over the past 50 years, and it's just celebrating its 50 year anniversary here at the end of June. But before it was passed, um, at the time of 19, we're going to go back, I'm going to bring up some statistics. At the time of 1971-72 school year, there were almost 3.67 million boys participating in high school sports, and there were less than 300,000 girls. Let's fast forward to the last year of data that I could find looking at the 2018-19 school years, especially before COVID hit. Boy, both boys and girls uh, participation 
um, we saw an increase in both. For boys, about 4.5 million boys play high school sports. So that's an increase of just under about a million boys. For girls, it has exploded. Remember, I told you there was just under 300,000 girls participating in sport in 1971-72. In 2018-2019, there's over 3.4 million girls participating in high school sport. So Title IX has been extraordinarily impactful. And as we think about Title IX, and I'm going to get into this here in just a little bit, um, in just a few minutes, it's not necessarily equal. Not everything has to be um, equal. There's a three-pronged test that we're going to go through. But, um, you know, we, we kind of use the word equitable when we're talking with Title IX. So we should start to see things start to balance and, and start to get close to being a little bit more equitable, certainly than they were uh, in the early 70s. So as we're thinking about um, the amount of money that's spent on girls and women's sports, you know, should be about equitable to what's being spent on boys and men's sports. Um, facilities, uniforms, number of coaches, games, what time the games are being played, access to facilities at certain times. All that, we cannot discriminate and say, okay, boys, men, you're going to get the better facilities, the better uniforms, uh, more money, more travel opportunities, and all these things, and we can't, and we don't do the things for girls and women. And when we're thinking about um, just, you know, equality under the law, you know, that seems to be reasonable, right? Um, we shouldn't be discriminating against people simply because of their sex. And that's what Title IX ushered in. So before it was passed, if we're thinking about every dollar in the United States that was spent on sports programs, 99 cents of every dollar were spent on boys program, uh, uh, sports programs as compared to only one cent spent for girls. So again, Title IX extraordinarily profound law. So how is this actually applied in athletic departments from colleges, you know, all the way down to middle schools? You know, how do we know if the school is actually compliant with Title IX? Well, every year there's an Equity and Athletics Disclosure Act. So if you go into the internet and search EADA, um, this is specifically for colleges, but you can look at the reports for all college, just about every college in the nation, and see exactly how much money they spend on both men's and women's sports, how many coaches they have for each, what are the revenues, what are the expenses. It breaks everything down. In the U.S. government, that report needs to be comp compiled compiled every October and the U.S. government takes that information and they look and they use that to see, are you in compliance with Title IX? Now, again, I'm going to go back to something I just said here in a little bit. A lot of people hear Title IX and think, okay, everything has to be equal. 50% of every dollar needs to go to boys. 50% of every dollar needs to go to girls or, or men and women. And that's not actually true. So the way that we're able to test for compliance is there's something called the three-pronged test of Title IX compliance. And you only have to be compliant with one of these tests. So as you start to um, gather in that information in October, you can use that and see, are we compliant with Title IX? Most schools are, and if you are, great. You continue to move forward and you continue to give both men and women opportunities to um, perform and excel in your athletic program. If not, now you know, hey, we're gonna need to put some more resources 
into women's sport. So I want to walk through each one of these three prongs with you. So number one, question one, are participant numbers proportional to enrollment? So for, an exa for example, let's say you're an athletic director. And if you're looking at the statistics right now, there are more women coming into college as students, getting degrees, graduate degrees, even um, in, we're looking at professional schools with law school and, and medical school. We have more women coming into these programs and getting degrees um, than men right now. Um, it's trending where, you know, I think it's somewhere, and I'd have to look at the statistics, but last time I saw it, you know, we're getting close to where it's a 60-40 percentage, all right? But um, let's say you're at a school where it's more male heavy, right? Um, you know, let's say you've got 60% male, 40% female. Well, as we're looking at participant numbers, are they proportional? Your number of athletes should be proportional to your, um, to your student population. So you should have about 60% men in the athletic department or, or playing sports and about 40% women playing sports. And that wouldn't be too difficult. When you have more men in the school than you have women, that proportionality test isn't too difficult to, um, to reach. However, let's flip it. Let's say you're at a school where it's two thirds women, all right? We'll go, we'll go a little bit more extreme where it's two thirds women and one third men. Now, the proportionality might be a little bit tougher because we kind of want to offer, you know, some of the, the same number of sports. Um, however, you know, getting 66% of your athletic uh, teams to be fielded, fielded by women could be a little bit harder, right? Especially if, you know, every time we add a sport, if we, let's say we're adding baseball, we also want to add softball. You know, we add golf and tennis, soccer. Um, we want to do both for men and women you know, having that proportional number might be a little tough. So we're going to say in this instance, we're at an um, institution that's um, heavily skewed female, and we can't find enough to make our numbers proportional in the athletic department. So we're going to go to prong two, all right? We didn't pass prong one. We're going to go to prong two. Does the school show a history of progress? So can you make a compelling case, and can you show that you're adding opportunities for women's athletics. So we might not be able to get to that 66% number um, with our sports teams fielding women. However, can we show that, you know, every time we add uh, a men's sport, we're adding a, woman, a women's sport? Or we're doing our best to make things proportional. We can't add enough sports. Maybe we got some budget limitations. We can't add enough sports to get to that 66% number, but we're trying to add, we've got one or two more women's sports than we do men's sports. So we're doing the best that we can within our budget limitations. And we are showing a history of progress because we continue to add opportunities for um, female athletes. So if that's the case, then you would pass on prong two. But let's say we're not proportionate and we didn't show a history of progress. Maybe we just can't add the amount of sports that we would like to add. Maybe we just started an athletic program and we haven't had enough time and enough funds to add more sports. So now we're going to go to prong three. Does the school accommodate students' interest in sport? 
So one of the things that you could do, and, and this was something I did as an athletic director, and, and I don't like to bring my own experience too much in this podcast. I, I prefer to let other people talk and, and learn from other people. But one of the things that you can do, and I, I did in the past when I was a college athletic director, is that you could send a survey out to your entire student body. And you can ask them, hey, what are you interested in? What are you interested in playing? What are you interested in supporting? And you can start to take that data. And when you're ready to add new sports, especially new sports for women, you can start to add things that correlate with their interest. So for example, let's say you're in a place where um, you think softball would be a, a, a huge hit, no pun intended. And you know, you've got a lot of people in the community kind of clamoring for softball. And so you send out a survey to students, but it heavily comes back where they want soccer. And so when you go to add that new sport, if you add soccer, you may be in compliance because even though we don't, might not have the ability to make things proportional and, you know, we may not have had the ability to show a, a long history of progress. Maybe we're a young athletic department or we just don't have the funding. But if we could show that the sports that we do add strategically, we are adding sports that accommodate our students' interest, we may be found in compliance. So again, the three-prong test, very important. That's how Title IX is tested against the law. And for athletic directors, um, you only need to pass one prong to be in compliance with the Title IX law. So some other things I wanted to share with you, um, you know, again, Title IX has been a big boom for girls and women, but there are some things that, you know, we're still seeing as we look at data where, you know, girls and women still may be a little bit behind. So for example, um, colleges, they spend about 24% of their operating budget on female sports. In 179 male um, athletic, or I'm sorry, male athletics get about 179 more mil. I'm sorry, male athletics get 179 million more dollars in athletic scholarships each year than female athletes do. Right, so we're seeing, you know, it's not necessarily proportional. Only about 20 um, with with the budget, only about 24% of a budget is allocated to women's sports, and they're lagging behind 179 million dollars in scholarship money, com as compared to men. Now, what's interesting as we start to kind of dig into some of those numbers is just how much football throws off those numbers. And when you're thinking about Division One athletic programs. You know, only, and this is a little bit on the high side, but only about 20, 25% of Division I college athletic departments actually operate in the black. Most of them lose money. However, your biggest revenue sport is football. And for NCAA Division I, um, I believe they get, I should have looked these numbers up before the podcast, but I believe that they get 80 to 85 scholarships for men's football. So if you know you already have 80, 85 men coming in to play sports at your school, and we're seeing more women than men starting to come in as students, you know that proportionality is gonna to be tough, but you've gotta have football. You've gotta have football and you've gotta have men's basketball because those are your two big money-making sports 
on campus. So right there, we already have 100 athletes with football and with basketball. As you can imagine, football, extraordinarily expensive sport when you've got that many athletes and that much scholarship money and food money and clothes and travel and coaches. Same thing with basketball, um, you know, not ex as expensive as football, but you're playing 30 some odd games a year. So there's a lot of money that's tied up into that. So you already have these really two big commitments if you're a D1 athletic program. And so we've got to find ways to provide, um, you know, equitable access for women's athletics as well. So when you see those numbers, they really kind of jump off the page at you, but football kind of skews things a little bit. And there's some arguments out there do we need to take football out of the Title IX equation? And if we do, we start to see those numbers start to get a little bit more equitable. So just because you see that there's this big gap between men's and women's sports as, as far as funding goes, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, we're still kind of living in the days of um, pre-1972 where there was, um, you know, some, some bias towards men as compared to women. It just shows that, you know, the cost of, of having a men's football program and a, and a men's basketball program, which, um, you know, are um, in this day and age, um, they're, they're absolutely necessary for D1 athletic program. It's just those costs are so massive. It's hard to get enough women's programs to make up for that. And if you do um, try to get enough women's athletic programs to try to um, make up that gap, well, now you're investing even more money into your athletic department, which I told you already is losing money by and large. So it's really interesting to see how this all plays out in college athletics and in division one college athletics, they, their budgets stand alone. Their budgets are not part of the school's general budget. They have to raise their own money. And this is why you're seeing a lot of conference realignment. Just before we went on the air in this podcast, um, I saw that um, USC and UCLA are now gonna make the jump to the big 10, it looks like. Um, they've been members of the PAC, um, the PAC well, the PAC, 10 and Pac-12 and now Pac-27. Um, they've been members of that for years and years and years. It was just like how we saw um, Maryland jump into the Big Ten and, and they'd been in the ACC for a long time. There is so much TV money out there. It's getting more and more expensive to run an athletic department. And so that's why you're seeing a lot of this movement um, with different teams. So you can see, you know, there's a chain reaction in all of this. Um, now, it doesn't mean that we can't do better for women's athletics. You know, if you think about just the coverage that they get on air, um, I think there was a, a study done of um, ESPN Sports Center, and somebody watched or, or they had, um, they tracked on Sports Center how much attention women's sports gets. And it's about less than 3% of airtime that's dedicated to women's sports. So there's always ways that we can do better and we can promote women's sports. And I think that's been one of the kind of really cool, impactful things with Title IX is that, you know, when you're a little girl now, you know, you can have girls growing up now might have a different set of role models than girls growing up, you know, in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. You know, it's not just, hey, I'm going to go to school and, and I'm going to, um, you know, become a teacher. 
because that's kind of what, you know, um, the standard um, track for a woman would be. Now it's, you know, I can go to school on an athletic scholarship. And if you look and see all these women in college athletics that are getting these great NIL deals and are able to leverage their brand on social media um, to start to position themselves to make money during college and after college, you know, that's been extraordinarily impactful for these women, um, for these women athletes. And I think girls now have a different path or have additional paths to go other than some of the traditional gender norms. Now they can also go and become athletes. So the more that can be done to, you know, cultivate that and uh, make some of these women athletes as, as role models for little girls growing up, I think, you know, in just my opinion, is a really great thing. And then the last thing that I wanted to talk about as we move forward, you know, along those lines on how Title IX has kind of shifted the landscape of, of sports and, you know, opportunities for women, what's it going to look like in the future? You know, how is Title IX going to, not the law is going to change, but how is it going to change athletics or, or what are going to be some of the other impacts that we see on Title IX? And one of the things that we can look at um, with the Equal Protection Clause under the 14th Amendment one of the questions and one of the things that I've been talking in my classes now for, you know, going on six years is the role of transgender athletes and how do they fit in women's athletics when we're thinking about um, biological men who identify as women or those who've actually gone through a sex change procedure and now um, as men participating in women's athletics. And that's really, really where we see, you know, especially in the media and in culture, I think that's where we see um, the most uproar. You know, what's that going to look like going forward? You know, are there going to be federal law? There's already federal laws that are talking about in the 14th Amendment and looking under Title IX where transgender people are protected, um, especially as we're looking at things like um, employment. Um, but what's that going to look like in sports? And we've seen um, really right now, it's kind of been a state by state thing. Um, some states have been um, very strict. And, you know, whatever your biological sex is, that's what you're going to participate as in sport. Um, other states have been a little bit um, more open with allowing athletes to participate in sports depending on um, the, the gender that they associate with. So I think that's going to be one thing with Title IX. Um, will there be a federal law passed that goes one way or the other? And, and I'm not taking a side on, on this one way or the other. I'm going to let um, the listener kind of decide on what you think is best. Um, but what I'm interested in is how's that going to go? And how is that going to impact students and other people getting into the field um, as athletic directors, as coaches? What do you need to think about in terms of facilities, in terms of um, training for your coaches, um, in terms of trainings for other athletes? You know, you can't control which way laws go one way or the other, but you do need to be prepared for what could happen in your state or, or your local municipality. And how can you make sure that sports 
are accessible to all. So um, that's one of the things I think is going to be really kind of interesting coming up here in the future as it pertains to Title IX. And then going forward, as I've talked about, you know, we see a lot more women coming into college as students than we do men right now. And, and those numbers are, are really growing. So how does that affect athletic departments. And for those athletic departments that maybe haven't put a lot of resources into um, the women's athletics, um, how are they going to change that? You know, because one thing you couldn't do, you, you really got to be careful with as an athletic director or, or any type of administrator on a college campus is you can't just decide, okay, hey, listen, our numbers of women um, coming in as students are growing. So, go out of women's sport so we can start to become a little bit more equitable and we can show a history of progress with Title IX. But you do nothing to support it, right? You don't get them um, their own facility or, you know, they're sharing facilities, but they get, they get the same facility as men, but they don't get it at a prime time. They have to come really early in the morning or they got to stay late at night or you're not providing them the same travel benefits. You know, the men go by plane and the women go by bus. Right. Title IX is not just a box checking exercise. Um, this is a way to make sure that women are getting equitable treatment to men under the law. So administrators, um, athletic administrators, school administrators, you know, continuing going forward. As we see more women coming into college, we got to make sure that we're getting them more opportunities and not just opportunities to check the box, but opportunities that are equal to men and opportunities that just make their college experience great. And I think that's, again, another positive thing that's come out of this law, at least that what I'm seeing in the culture, um, women's athletics, um, it's starting to, to slowly get a little bit more media, slowly starting to get a little bit more coverage. I think certainly with um, the agreement between the United States women's team and their players, where the players are now going to be uh, making more money. I think you're starting to see some of the wheels start to turn to where we're seeing a little bit more equitable treatment with women, especially at, at kind of the pro level. Um, but um, I think that's going to continue to kind of filter its way down in, in college and in high school. And I think it's going to be very exciting. I think if, if I was a dad that, that had a daughter, um, I would be very excited about the opportunities that she's going to have in the future. Like I said, um, it doesn't mean that everything's perfect and, and that there won't be challenges going forward. Um, but if you're a young girl and you want to get involved in sport and you're thinking about making that a way, a path to um, get a college education, and who knows, maybe even play professionally one day, we're going to see more opportunities for them in the future. So I hope you enjoyed this primer on Title IX. Do yourself a favor, learn more about the law. There's a lot of great resources for you online, and we appreciate you listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please check out our social media pages for our next guest in July. As always, we'd like to say a special thank you to producer Josh Warnbacher for his work behind the scenes today. This is the Center for Sports Studies podcast, broadcasting from the Trine Broadcasting Network. If you like this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the Center for Sports Studies podcast on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a five-star rating if you like what you heard. For more information about the Center for Sports Studies, please visit trine.edu. Also be sure to like the Trine Center for Sports Studies on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TrineCSS, 
and subscribe to our YouTube page by searching for Trine University Center for Sports Studies. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.